Father God, you know the, the needs of your people. You know what we are all dealing with today. You know what we're all suffering with today. You know what we all are frustrated about today. And so, Lord, we bring all those things to you, Lord. We need healing in our families, in our relationships. We need healing, Lord, in within ourselves, because some of us are physically sick. Lord, we need courage. We need boldness. Lord, we need so much, Father. And we know that you are life, your life giver. We know that you are the sustainer, our provider, our dad, our father, Jehovah Jireh, the great I am. Your word says, Lord, you will never forsake us. You haven't strived us on the palm of your hands. You dance over us with shouts of joy. You are the good shepherd who cares for the flock, cares for your sheep. And when we bring to you all of our needs, all of our burdens, our frustrations, our failures, our successes, our joys, and our pains, and we ask that you to minister to us, to send your spirit, your Holy Spirit, to do in us what we can't do in ourselves, Father, to draw us closer to your heart, closer to your throne. In spirit, we need you to take the word that is preached today and apply it to my heart. Lord, I need it. Everyone here needs it. Everyone here needs to hear from you today. Some of us are running. Some of us are hiding. Spirit, stop us. Stop us in our tracks and let the word penetrate our cold, cold hearts. And I pray for this in Christ's name. Well, it's good to be back with you guys. Seems like I've been in and out of the pulpit, different family issues going on, but it's good to be back. So I hope you guys are doing well today. Two weeks ago, while I was shopping at Staples, which is you know, right down the road here from the church, I ran into a, to a homeless man. You know, he actually waved me down as I was getting ready to pull out of the parking lot. And I didn't feel like being hit up for money. But I engaged him anyway. And turns out he was hungry and he just wanted something to eat. So, so I got, he got into my car and I took him over to Zaxby's and we got something to eat. And you know, part of me just wanted, me to, just wanted to get him something to eat and get him on with his day. Because I, I had things I needed to do. But the spirit, the spirit did not let me go to a place of indifference with this guy. His name is Gary. That, that's his name. And the Spirit actually moved me to, to see him, to hear him. And so I asked Gary, I said, how long have you been homeless? I mean, how did you end up homeless? He said his wife left him for another man and took everything he had. And he's been on the, th on the streets for the past two months. You see, what I heard from Gary is just one of many examples of a trail that is behind every person's present situation. We leave a trail. Think about that. Each of you here are in a present situation, a circumstance. 
good or bad. And behind that circumstance is a trail which led to where you are. It could be good decisions, bad decisions, joy, sorrows, ups, downs, successes, failures, faithfulness, unfaithfulness, good and bad consequences. Just look at your present situation, your life, and ask you to look a little deeper at the trail that lags behind. What do you see? Who's at fault for where you are today? Who do you blame? Or who gets the credit for where you are? We all have a trail behind our life. And this morning, we're going to begin to look at the trail that that lagged behind an Old Testament saint that many of you should be familiar with. Her name is Naomi. And we read about her present situation in in Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to read this to you because this is where she ends up. But there was a trail that lagged behind all that stuff. I'll read it to you. Ruth chapter 4 verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He went into her and she gave, and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi's present situation there is one of Redemption, one of joy, one of life, one of nourishment, one of being filled. But how did she end up there? There's a trail. There's a trail that lags behind where she is in that verse, in those verses. Naomi went through some things. If you know the story about Naomi. She went through some things. They were on the trail of her life, leading up to chapter 4. And we're going to take a look at this trail that lagged behind her life. And it begins in chapter 1, verse 1. In those days, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And the man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Emelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons was Malon and Chilion. And they were Aphrodites of Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Amalek, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. And these two took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Oprah and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then Malon and Chilion died. And so the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. The first thing we see on the trail of Naomi's life is is trouble. Trouble. You see, the book of Ruth is an Old Testament narrative. It's a story. And the setting of this story introduces us to the trouble that was on her trail. 
And hey, trouble should not be a stranger to any of us. Right? Is he a stranger to you? He shouldn't be. All of us should be acquainted with Mr. Trouble. He holds down a spot on all of our life. And the trouble that held down a spot on Naomi's life is seen right here in verse 1. The verse says, in those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. In those days when the judges ruled. That's the first trouble. Now, if you know anything about the book of Judges, what was life for Israelites during the book of the Judges? During the times of the Judges? Let's just say it was not the good old days. It's not the days they longed to go back to. Because they constantly did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Right? Worshiping other gods. Judges 2 says, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, the Lord was with the judge. The judge saved the people from the hands of their enemies. All the days of the judges. But whenever the judge died, the people turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. They did not stop any of their practices or their stubborn, stubborn ways. The period of the judges was marked by a, a continuous cycle of rebellion, judgment, repentance, deliverance. It's a cycle. And as one Christian said, it was a period of spiritual, social, and political unrest. Dark, dark times. In fact, the book of Judges ends by saying, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's how the book ends, <laughs> which implies people didn't necessarily do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I smell trouble. And it's a sour and foul smell. This was the trouble that was on Naomi's life. She was living in this environment that was marked by spiritual and social and political unrest. I'm sure she felt the effects of this. How could she not? How could she not? Not only with those things, but she also felt the effects of another trouble that lagged behind her life. And it was that of a famine. A famine hit the entire land. Now, the author does not give us a reason why. I wish he would have told us why there was a famine, but he doesn't. And, but the Old Testament does give reasons why famines occur, but he doesn't give us a reason here. None is mentioned. But still, we know what happens when there's a famine in a particular land, don't we? What does it mean? What does it mean to be stuck in a famine? It means you have no food. A shortage of food. People suffer from starvation, malnutrition. And there is nothing awesome and wonderful about being in a country that's in the middle of a famine. There ain't nothing pretty about it. If you know, have you ever seen pictures of, of, of this famine in, in Somalia? Is there anything wonderful about that? Seeing tens of thousands of people die from starvation. It's extremely difficult. And so Naomi was in the middle of these things, in the middle of this trouble, the famine, living in an environment marked by spiritual, social, and political unrest. And what can these type of conditions do to a person? It puts you in survival mode. Do what you got to do to survive. Do what you got to do to survive. That's what it can do to a person. Do what you got to do to survive. Now, what about you? 
Have you ever experienced these types of troubles? Spiritual troubles, social unrest, political unrest. What about famine? Have you ever been stuck in the famine? Or have you ever been, been in a season of life where you didn't have any food? Or your parents couldn't afford to get food, and so you had to go a couple nights without it? Have you ever been in survivor mode? I just got to survive, Pastor. I just got to stop the bleeding. We have. We have. None of us are exempt from trouble. None of us are. Even the ones that Naomi experienced here. When you look back on your life, we see that we have spiritual troubles. We're seeing we have social troubles. We all have. But is that the norm for Christians? Certain Christians not experience troubles. It is the norm. It is the norm. In one of my um, favorite books that I've read is called Shattered Dreams by Larry Crabb. He says, he says, shattered dreams destroy false expectations, such as the victorious Christian life, where there is no real struggle or failure. Shattered dreams destroy false expectations, such as the victorious Christian life with no real struggle and no real failure. There are struggles and failures. But where's the Lord in the midst of them? In the midst of yours. He's there. As he always is. Working and moving. An old African-American gospel song says, Trouble in my way. I have to cry sometimes. I lay awake at night, but that's all right. But Jesus will fix it after a while. He will and he does. You see, the Lord was and is doing what he has always been doing, working on behalf of his people, even through their troubles in this life. This is something that Naomi is going to realize. She may not be able to see it now in these first five verses, but she will begin to see it. Remember Ruth 4. She will begin to see it. Another thing we see on Naomi's trail is what I call the human element. And what I mean by that is decisions still have to be made even when you face trouble. You still have to make decisions. A decision was made for Naomi in response to her troubles. This decision was also the trail of her life, and it was a decision to sojourn. That's what the word says. It says her her husband decided to take the family to Moab. After introducing to us the city and the trouble, the author finally brings in the family of Naomi, four members in this family, a husband and two sons. Her husband's name. Emelech means God is my king. Naomi's name means pleasant one and lovely one. Now, I'm uncertain about the name, meaning of her son's names, so I don't know. But according to the commentator, this family was one of the original families of Bethlehem. They were an established family. Some commentators think they were a wealthy family. And yet their status did not protect them from the harsh conditions of a family. Even Bethlehem which was known as the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem was called in those days, house of bread. That's what it means, house of bread, because 
It had a, 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 had, a had a unusual fertility for, for grain, and yet it could not feed them. And so they went to sojourn in the country of Moab, outside of their homeland. Now, the obvious question is, was it right? The decision to leave Bethlehem was because of the famine that struck the land, but was it right? See, I think the point of emphasis here is that the family did not have food, and so the husband made the best decision he thought possible to preserve his family during a natural crisis. He made a decision to preserve his family. But was it right to move, to sojourn in Moab under these situations, under these circumstances? His name means God is my king. So did his decision to sojourn mean he was walking away from his God? I don't think so. To be honest, I, I think there was nothing wrong with him going to sojourn in Moab because there are examples in the Bible and the Old Testament of old Old Testament saints sojourning in other countries during times of famine. But the problem came when the sojourning turned into a permanent relocation. They stayed. Their decision to sojourn was actually a decision to relocate. And as one Christian said, it was going to be of indefinite duration. They were not going back home. You see, first they were going to sojourn. They were going to live for a while, a temporary stay. But as we read on, they went into Moab and remained there. They settled there. The family was no longer functioning sojourners. They grew comfortable in Moab, made their home there. They were not going back. They found a comfort in another land. And this decision to remain in Moab was a bad decision. What's the big deal, Alex? They didn't have any food. They should have stayed, right? What's the big deal? Moab was a, a pagan nation. They did not worship Yahweh. They were enemies of Israel. As one Christian said, the Moabites were worshippers of Chemosh, a god who, 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 whose worshippers sacrificed humans to him. In fact, the Moabite people were not even welcome into the congregation of Israel. This permanent move to stay in Moab was not wise, given Israel's long history of bound down to idol gods. I don't know for certain if Ruth, I mean, Naomi and her family worshipped these gods, but historically, her forefathers did bow down to Moabite gods. Numbers 25 says the people of Israel began to whore with the daughters of Moab. And these daughters invited the people to sacrifice to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So it won't surprise me if they did. But the word does say the two sons took Moabite wives. Which to me implies they were at least assimilated into the culture. And yes, those two sons made bad decisions too. A pastor once said, life is about choices, so choose wisely. Why? For there are always consequences to the choices we make. And this family is going to see that. Every day you make decisions and choices. You make the short choices when you face troubles. You make 
the choices on whether or not you're going to tell the truth or you're going to lie every day. You decide on whether or not you're going to be responsible or irresponsible. At the end of the day, where you are, you're there based upon the decisions and choices you made. It ain't your daddy's fault. Take a look in the mirror. It's your fault. Because you still got to make decisions. And not everybody's born with a silver spoon in their mouth. We all have to make decisions. So the question is, who here has always made the right decision at every moment and every turn? Who? Who has always made the right decision and choice in life? No one has. And so we can't shake our head at this family and say, man, if I was in that situation, there's no way I would have done that. There's no way. I would not have done that. I would have stayed in Bethlehem. I would not have went to Moab and lived there. Sure. Sure. It's always easy to say what you're not going to do when you're not faced with it. You ain't never been in the famine, so you don't know what you're going to do. I got into a Facebook debate a couple of years ago with a guy you know, my friend, I posted something about abortion, and he's, and this guy got on there and says, There's a, under no circumstances would my wife ever have an abortion, ever. It never happened. And I posted something on there. Don't be so quick to say what you're not going to do. Peter didn't think he was going to deny Jesus, but he did. Didn't he? We don't know what we're going to do. What we should pray is, Lord, give me strength to stand firm on what I believe when I'm faced with it. Because when you're faced with it, brothers and sisters, it ain't so easy. It ain't so easy. It's always easy when it's out there. But when trouble's at your door, what you going to do then? I guarantee you, it ain't that easy. And sometimes we make bad decisions in response to the troubles in our life. Look back. Look back. And you will see on the trail of your life, bad decisions. We have made decisions that cause us to wander from the Lord. And one author says, everybody, sooner or later, sets down to a banquet of consequences. Everybody, sooner or later, sets down to a banquet of consequences that flow from the decisions and choices that we make. And if that's you that's wondering what should you do, repent. That's what you should do. That should always be the first response from wonder from the Lord. It's repentance. And also know, do you think Jesus is surprised by your bad decisions? All the bad decisions you made in your life, you think any one of them caught Jesus off guard? Ooh, I didn't see that coming. No. He knows you. <laughs> Better than you know yourself. You're the only one that's surprised by it. Because you don't still think you struggle with sin. So, he's not surprised by it. He will even shepherd you through the consequences of your decisions. You're going to see this in the life of Naomi. He's going to still shepherd this family. He's going to still provide for her. Might not be how she's thinking, but he is at work. Even though his name is not mentioned much in this book, we see his sovereign hand at work. 
in this book, in his sovereign hands at work in your life. Even though troubles and bad decisions take up a spot on the trail of your life, your trail of your life is engraved in the palm of God's hands, unchanging hands. All his, for all his people, it's there. Even though you may walk through the valley of troubles and the valley of consequences, you don't have to live in fear. The Lord is with you. This is something that Naomi is going to realize. See, the one constant thing that lagged behind her trail, you know, that lagged behind her life, was Yahweh's faithfulness through whatever she went through, through her troubles and through her failure, through her bad decisions. And as we'll see next week, through the loss of her family. He was still faithful in the midst of that. During my final year of seminary, I, I, I had these distant ed classes. I don't recommend that because it's just, you listen to tapes. Uh, just don't, I don't recommend that, but it's hard work. And I don't miss those days. And the class I was taking this time was a theology class. And the professor said something about God that has stuck with me ever since. He said, God handles our sin sinlessly. Think about that. God handles the sins of his people sinlessly. Take that to heart. It doesn't mean he condones our sin, but it means he would not disown you because of it. He knows you are but this. Why? The cross. That's why. The troubles that you are in, the troubles that you're going to be in, the bad decisions that you have made, and the bad decisions you're going to make when you leave here today, are not too big for our God. Not too big for him. Not too big for him to handle. Not too big for him to work through. His word said he works all the things to the good of those who love him. That means your troubles and your bad decisions too. Somehow he works it to the good. How he does it, I have no idea, but he does. How to trust his truth, his word. So the thing is, perk up. It's not as bad as it could be. It could be worse. God is at work. In the words of a, another a gospel song, it says, Exceedingly abundantly, above all, you can ask or think. According to the power that works through you, God is able to do just what he said he would do. He's going to fulfill every promise to you, to each and every one of you. Don't give up on God because he won't give up on, give up on you. He's able, people. He's able and he is willing to work on behalf of his beloved people. Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, I know that um, as we work through this book, Lord, we're going to see you do great things. We're going to see you take these troubles and these bad decisions and work it to your glory. And also work it to the benefit of Naomi. We all know the story. We all know how it ends. But it serves as a good reminder about our life. A good reminder about what you have done for us and what you will continue to do for us. That our failures and troubles are not too big for you to work through. And you will work through them. And so I pray for each of us and whatever we're facing today. And whatever we're dealing with today. The consequences that we're dealing with today. Struggles that we have in our families. Or whatever troubles that, that are on our path. Help us to know that our God is not silent. 
Help us to take those things to you, to receive comfort, to receive encouragement. Help us not to, to be silent with our, amongst our brothers and sisters, but have other Christians to enter into our life that can walk alongside of us in the midst of what we're going through. We need one another, Father. We're not meant to be on the island, island unto ourselves. We're meant to exist in community. And so I pray, Lord, that this community, you would bless us to sharpen one another, encourage one another, challenge one another, hold one another accountable. Lord, I also pray for continued favor in the community, that you, Father, will continue to, to draw more and more uh, folks into your kingdom through this ministry. We pray your blessings over Lincoln Village Ministry, the school, on the funds that need to be raised. You pray that you will bless that and provide what is needed, Father. Lord, you're God. And so all we have to do is pray that you do, for you to move, and that's what we're doing. Make us a praying church. Not a church that prays when life gets hard, but we pray all the time because it's part of our DNA. Lord, pray to you constantly and often. And often. And I pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand as we close out our service.